the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the college basketball weekend betting preview. I'm your host, Stucky, and joining me, as always, are my co-host, Mike Calabrese, and BJ Cunningham. Gentlemen, what's going on, Mike? You fully recovered? I'm fully recovered. I'm ready for the birds on Sunday. I have uh, so many different bets. I got a lot of bets tied up in the Phoenix Open Waste Management Tournament out there in Arizona as well. So if the Eagles win and it goes under the number 51 and Justin Thomas wins, I'll be quite happy. <laughs> this, I feel like this is the week to have cross sports parlays and everything else. So I'm trying to really lean into that. Plus, I'm big time in on Kenny Gainwell at 125 to 1 to win MVP. He's led the Eagles in rushing in the playoffs. So why not? Let's take a shot on him. Um, but yeah, in general, this is a great week. Lots of good sports and college basketball is as good as it's been this whole season. So I'm excited for this slate, you know, Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, well, I'm against you on in the Super Bowl. I have the over, and uh, I hope you push. I have over 50 and a half, and, but I have the Chiefs. But I just got back from Philly, where my whole family's from, and oh, my God. I, I If people aren't familiar, I'm sure they are. Like The, the greeting in Philly now is not hello. It's just go birds. Uh, <laughs> in Delco, it's more like go birds. Uh, but, yeah, I, I heard – I was like the new, I was up visiting my mom. The news is just like – in everywhere it's just eagles um so if they if i do lose my bet i will be very happy uh for both my mom and dad and my entire family here but especially for my mom and dad I, I don't know how many more super bowls they will get to see you know um i know that they were extreme i was very happy for them back in 2017 so maybe if they win this one i'll be like all right that's enough that's two and two and five years or i think you got your fill but uh bj uh, any any uh might as well just throw it out there if you haven't checked out on Action Network podcast, Raybon, Chris Raybon and I, we have our Super Bowl betting preview out there. Also, for the Super Bowl, if you're in Cleveland, come to the Punch Bowl RCP. I tweet out the link, watch Super Bowl with me, drink and bet. BJ, do you have a pick for the Super Bowl before we get into college hoops? Well, yeah, I'm going to be with you on the Chiefs. And, you know, I'm very different. You, you two obviously, you know, live around the Philly area. Well, I live in Chiefs country. I live three hours from Kansas City. And I can't tell you how many bandwagon Chiefs fans have come on in the last like three, four years, ever since Mahomes has gotten there. So I have just seen nothing but red and yellow for like the last four or five years, and especially with the Super Bowl lead up. So, I mean, I, I, again, I don't really follow the NFL that much. I basically just tail you, Stucky. So if you're on the Chiefs, then so am I, and I'll be on a million props as well. Yeah, I'm in, I'm kind of in no one cares land now about the NFL. Like I, I remember going to, the, we go to, my wife's bar for the Super Bowl. It's just like the people who work there. There's no one there. Um, and no one on Super Bowl Sundays, the bars are clean, just completely open. Um, but we started to get a little more Bengals. Like there's some Bengals or some Colts, but Lexington's just all about the college basketball team. So now after Kentucky lost to Arkansas, the sky is falling again. Uh, literally, it's just I thought the whole they state. were back for a second. They're stuck. Yeah, yeah they just they, they just don't. Their coaching is so bad. That's a good transition into what we learned <laughs> from this week. We'll get into our future, a lot of futures to our portfolio here. We'll talk a little Friday Night Lights and then go around the horn for Saturday. And we'll also talk some buy low, sell high for the Pac-12, which we haven't really talked about much so far this season. But let's get into what we learned from the week that was and and then any rants that you have. I'll, I'll kick things off. Yeah, Kentucky, I mean, they, they just are so poorly coached. Like, why are you letting Arkansas, the, the way that they were, the way that they were defending the Arkansas screens like why are you letting Arkansas like defending the three against Arkansas why are you letting them get to the rim like they, this team can't shoot just then and Shibway remains just a liability uh especially on defense um you know he you move him around and he also just struggles it with post defense so yeah Kentucky has some issues I think that they're starting to figure out their their lineup their most ideal lineup but it's still far from perfect but the thing I guess I I take away the most is well, BC with Quinton Post back is pretty is more formidable than people are giving them credit for. And Vatek lost all of its equity that it built with that UVA win. So I don't know if Vatek can get their way back in the bubble. The reason is, is the ACC stinks. So like, who do you play? Right? You just you just have to avoid bad losses, and they took one here. So 
I might be targeting Vatek, you know, get Maddox back in the ACC tournament again, which should be pretty wide open. Uh, North Carolina has been disappointing. Um, I, I don't think Duke is that great. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good tournament to pick for a long shot. And the other one is we'll, we'll touch on this more in the futures portfolio, but I'm glad that we added Indiana when we did, right? 50 to one, they beat Rutgers, they beat Purdue down now pretty much 25 to one across the board. So we'll get to that in a second, but my rant of the week, Oklahoma, that was, I, I was on a good run until last night. I think I finished three and three, but that swung my night, not plus nine and a half. They lose by 10, which was the largest deficit of the game down five, the 85% free throw shooter misses the front end. And I'm like, Oh no, it was two minutes ago. Leads to a transition bucket and then turnover, miss, turnover. And Baylor, of course, makes every single free throw down the stretch. And then Oklahoma calls timeout, 20 seconds left, down eight. So you know they're going to foul. They foul, come down, chuck a three, air balls, then they don't foul. Like, can we, coaches, at the end of the game, I know you're just trying to coach, you don't care, but have some awareness of the number. Like, you are you have alumni, you have fans, boosters. It's not going to make a difference. Why are you fouling? You're fouling down nine, down eight with 10 seconds left. Know when to call off the dogs. Um, you know, and if you're down 10, then why not foul again, right? If you're going to keep playing and keep teaching, what, what, what is the, the – I mean, they're fouling at the end of these games. I wish there was just more awareness. Porter Moser, figure it out. So that was frustrating. And then Wyoming, I had Wyoming, too, who basically uh, – you know, one of their, their starting point guards is out for the year now, and then they three players were kicked off the team <laughs> yesterday afternoon. The team's like down to like five or six scholarship players. What a mess for Wyoming uh, and Graham E.K. redshirted. So yeah, what a disaster this year in Laramie. But that's uh, some of my takeaways. Oh, in Tennessee, fraud. I mean, they're good, but the team can't win it. They, they go down to Vanderbilt. They just they can't score consistently enough. I don't care how good their defense is. And teams aren't going to shoot 20% from three once they get out of the SEC. Mike, let me go to you. Anything you want to take away from the week and any rants? First lesson, when Stucky makes a point that a team is broken, like Tennessee, don't just fade them against the spread. Have some have some, you know, guts and go with the money line play. I was right there. I end up taking a small play on Vanderbilt plus the points. Like, why not? I totally agree with you. I agreed with you pregame about Tennessee's inability to score and run away from teams. I may as well just like put a little more faith in it. And this isn't just a Tennessee conversation. We've been beating the drum for weeks on this podcast that in February and March, there's going to be some crazy upsets and teams that are vulnerable are going to expose themselves to losing as double digit favorites. So now's the time to start to push some money into the middle of the table and, start, and really go for it. Second thing, my rants, I haven't got all that fired up lately because I've been running pretty well for about a month. But I had St. John's on the money line last night against Butler and a couple things for starters. Yes, they you know can't score at the end of the game. But in terms of the officiating and the way that Mike Anderson handled it, the, the final basket, they have an inbounds under their own basket. They run a perfect lob play. Soriano gets it, puts it in. They end up waving it off, saying that even though he caught it and immediately you know shot the ball, 0.8 seconds wasn't enough which was crap because they started the clock early. Additionally, in the review, you can see the defender holding his jersey as he's going up. Yeah. So that could have been a clear foul. It's just a reminder in terms of money management that there's going to be bad officiating. It doesn't just happen in the Big East. It's going to happen everywhere. So don't get over levered on a particular game because officiating can swing these games so much. And beyond that play too, I think Butler had like a 20 shot advantage from the foul line. Just that's going to happen. So in terms of a rant, I was just pretty much furious. I'm also kind of a St. John's fans. My, my mother went there for uh, for law school and it is a rough experience being a St. John's fan because this team, you could just see it in the huddle a couple times coming out of timeouts where they were frustrated. They didn't believe it was going to happen. They have all this talent and they're probably going to end up, you know, sub 500 in Big East play and certainly not in the at-large conversation. So just uh, not not a great way to end my night on a otherwise pretty solid, you know, run for the last couple of days. Yeah, that was a rough one. Yeah, you bring up officiating. Uh, it was so bad last night. I mean, I, I was almost ran, wanted to rant about that. That West Virginia game, and West Virginia, Iowa State, I know it's a physical game, but the foul calls, and I mean, there was, it was just an, unbelievably bad watch makeup charge calls horrible charge calls across the board no one could play there was no flow to the game the utah state san diego state game was a mess they threw out they were throwing out players too many ref shows lately 
um, the charge call be, you know, continues to be uh, a major issue. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a while for since St. John's fans could uh, be really excited about their team. Um, what? When was the last? Felipe Lopez. When was the last time? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's been a minute. Mar- Marcus Hatton. You got to. Uh, you got to go way back, but um, St. John's are they like they play Providence this Saturday? Or are you are you are you going to mention that game later? Or are they just stay away from now? They've lost a bunch in a row. Yeah, yeah. So Danny I read it, it, it's care. I try to tread carefully, reading too much into the body language. But you just saw it, and I have this feeling from the way they've been playing the last few games, and also just the overall effort and the fact that I mean, if I got to have my druthers like you can't have Carbello handling the ball at any critical moment offensively. The guy reminds me of it's a Lou Holtz quote um, about one of his uh, wide receivers from the eighties. He's like, you're the best wide receiver I've ever coached until we throw you the ball. It's like Carbello, you're the best offensive player on St. John's until you have to try to shoot the basketball. Like he can get to the rim. He can create his own shot and he's just awful. Long story short, I'm just, I'm in fade mode on St. John's. So I'm going to go with Providence in that game. I mean, assuming I can get a reasonable number, but I think it's white flag time for the Johnnies. Yeah, they might just be packing it in until maybe uh, try to make a run in the Big East tournament. Maybe you'll get some value then. Um, but yeah, it doesn't look great for them as late. I mean, even they're, they've lost, what, five of six. And since, since winning at UConn, and that one win was at home by two over Georgetown. So it, Things are not trending in the right direction for the Johnnies. BJ, how about you? Anything you want to take away from the week and rant about? The the one thing I kind of took away from this week, and I don't know how this is going to sound, but I don't really trust any team from the Big 12 to potentially win the national title. Like, I really think that this conference is incredibly deep. Is this an indirect Iowa State? No, I mean, like, (laughs) Iowa Iowa State's just like, you know, Iowa State's basically what Tennessee is, right? They're an incredible defensive team. They're elite, but they just have no offense. And that's going to plague them come March. But... Even looking at teams like we've talked about with Kansas, we've already written Kansas off. They're too streaky. Even Texas, obviously they had, you know, that, that game on Monday was uh, very up and down, ton of possessions and everything. And But this conference is so deep. There's not one elite type team. And maybe that team will emerge as we get deeper into the season. But And the Big 12 has been a fun league to bet this year because it just it seems like every single week there's a slam dunk like home spot for one of these mid-level teams like an Oklahoma, Texas Tech or whatever. But if you look through all these big 12 teams, I mean, all of them have serious flaws. You look at Baylor, they can't defend at the rim. Kansas state can't defend inside. Iowa state's offense is terrible. Texas is way too streaky. So my biggest takeaway is like, I think these teams are going to be very dangerous when they're going to be on the eight, nine line, trying to potentially upset a one seed, but going all the way in deep into the tournament, potentially winning it. I have really no interest right now in a big 12 team. They're very deep and it's the best conference in the country, but they just don't have a team that I think can stack up with maybe an Alabama or Purdue uh, or Houston. So that's my thing. And my rant, you talk about officiating the officiating college station on Tuesday was awful. I mean, I had Auburn plus three and a half Texas A&M shot 39 free throws and Auburn was leading most of the game. It wasn't like Auburn was down and they were just fouling a ton at the end. Auburn got two technicals. Bruce Pearl almost fought a fan in the stands. It was so bad. I couldn't believe the whole officiating through the whole second half. And nobody on Auburn can even take a shot other than Wendell Green down the stretch. So it was just horrible all around. I mean, Texas A&M scored 83 points. 31 of them came from the free throw line. So they're another team. They're nine and two in the SEC. They're big time frauds for me. So um, I don't know. The officiating's just been horrible. That's two games in a row that Auburn's been been screwed officiating because they got some, you know, bad whistles in Tennessee as well. So that was just a horrible game on Tuesday to watch with that officiating. Bad week for the officiating. Um, I will say that that one team in the Big 12, because I, I agree with you, I think the bottom of the Big 12 will be undervalued, the mid-to-bottom teams, once we get to the tournament. But I think the top of the the conference might be a bit overvalued. Now, Baylor is is an interesting case. They're playing really well. They have the guard play. And with the return of everyday John, we'll see if they can improve their rim defense. But they do have issues there. TCU is the team though at the top that I think and we have them in our futures portfolio, but they need Mike Miles back. And then they need right. Eddie Lampkin to get healthy because Lampkin was out there. I don't he was limping around. And then Kansas State, I mean, they had what well, TCU had 19 turnovers, turned it over on 26% of their possessions against Kansas State, which uh, it just highlights how important Miles is, you know, and Lampkin too. But, you know, this is a team that with Miles, he can get 
clutch shot. He's a great facilitator. And then in transition, they're so deadly. And then Lampkin's so important on the offensive rebound. So I think when healthy, they're the, the class of it. And they're the team that could win it all. Mm-hmm. And we have them in our futures portfolio. We have them 40 to 1. You could find them 35 to 1. Still recommend buying because Miles is going to come back. Lampkin is going to get healthier. And we have UConn, who's been playing better of late. I like that. They're at 22 to 1. You can find, I think, 25 to 1 still out there. And then we have Indiana, who we added last week, 50 to 1. They're down to about 25 to 1. Not sure I would take it there. 30 to 1 is probably the lowest I would even entertain, but they're only going to get healthier. They've shown their peak. They're especially dangerous at home. So let's get into who we're going to add this week. Each person, if you're first time listener, will bring one future to the table and make their case, and then we'll all vote at the same time. And if everyone votes for everyone else's, then I will break the tie. Mike, let me throw it to you first. Who you bring to the table this week? So looking through the board, my mindset was I want a team that is at least elite in one thing that I consider to be important. And that's why I'm going to go with Marquette. They're still at 40 to one out in the market. They're 10 and two in their last 12 games. They're fourth in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm, 60th in defense. I understand that we talk about this at length leading up to March Madness that you generally want to have that combination between your offensive and defensive ranking in Ken Palm, certainly sub 50. Um, but in terms of what they're able to do, their shooting efficiency, the second nationally, assisted turnover ratio, fourth. Yes, they can't rebound. They're deep in the 200s and all the main metrics on the boards. That's going to hurt them. They do make up for it in turnover margin, though. They protect the basketball and shock a smart system. They're usually about plus five in the turnover margin on a nightly basis. They have five players who average double digits, which I really like because when you look at you know having to win six games or even really four games to to get to the final four, you're not going to be able to necessarily rely on one or two guys. It's, it's got to be a team effort, and they can do that. My my obvious concern is Shaka Smart. Six first round exits from the NCAA tournament. How long are we going to be able to hang our hat on the fact that he took you know VCU all the way to the final four? Is he a tournament coach? Can he put it together? Now, some of them you can look back, you know, at Texas, I think it was Northern Iowa hits a half court shot and some of it's been bad luck, but that certainly is the front of my mind. But at 40 to one, I'm willing to roll the dice. And I think it's actually a nice addition at the right time to our overall portfolio. Yeah, I'm a bit concerned about the defense a bit and particularly what they allow on the offensive glass. If they don't turn you over, there's definitely some issues on that defense. But I, I mean, they've obviously exceeded all of my expectations here, and they seem to be a really cohesive team, and they're not too dependent on one person. And everyone kind of knows their role. Um, and you know, Kolek is just a great facilitator, and they just have a lot of players who can, you know, get you fifteen to twenty on a given night, which uh, I like. They're not too reliant on any any one team. They just run great offense. I mean, number four in adjusted offensive efficiency, number one in two point percentage offense. BJ, who you bring to the table? You know, I think we should have maybe called our friend Colin Wilson for this one because I'm going to go Arkansas at 55 to 1. The biggest thing with this is that they're going to be getting their star freshman Nick Smith back here. I think he started practicing this week. And if you look at their schedule upcoming, it's actually quite easy. I mean, they're going to get Mississippi State at home. They go to Texas A&M at home against Florida, at home against Georgia. And they got two huge games on the road back-to-back against Alabama and Tennessee. Bracket Matrix has them as a nine seed right now. Um, if they win four straight here, they're probably going to be higher on the seed line here. Really, really good defensive team. You know, they're 10th, they're 12th in defensive efficiency. They're very good at defending both the three point line and inside a team that can tack the rim at a very, very elite level. So getting one of your best offensive threats, because it is a small sample size and he only did play in five games, but when he was on the floor, Nick Smith was their highest percentage shot guy. I mean, he was shooting 32% of the time higher than anybody else. So you're getting your offensive threat back when you already have a really, really good defense. So at 55 to one, I think the time is now to buy on Colin Wilson's Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, my I think this would be the time to do it because it is, they just, there was reported that Smith is going to come back and he's practicing. My only issue with Arkansas is that they can't <clears throat> shoot. And like Nick Smith is, the you know, first round draft pick and a hell of a player is gonna be a huge addition but he's not some flamethrower from the outside he's still gonna be a mid-range guy and they're they're gonna run into a team in the half court that's just gonna zone them and they're gonna shoot are they gonna shoot their way out of the tournament you know their eighth percentile in zone offense on the year they're 31 percent from three on the year that's 315th in the country so i really worry about that um 
but this is a team that has been what after slow starts in conference play they've been the back-to-back elite eights uh so the and it's and it's and 55 to 1 that's, that's my main yeah. argument is that i don't think we're going to be 55 to 1 come tournament time uh this will be a case for a long shot which you know ideally 100 to 1 you want them to get to the final four and again i just don't think that there's a huge there's these any elite teams like who are the projected one seeds right now like per bracket matrix it's purdue houston kansas and alabama like it's one of the weakest one seeds and then te- you know the twos you're tennessee texas UCLA and Arizona, um, your threes, Baylor, Iowa State, Xavier, and Virginia. Like the top, like it is, it is, I know we keep having home, but it is so wide open. So let's go with San Diego State, 100 to 1. I think, you know, one of my problems with San Diego State, now I, I believe in the Mountain West this year, which is part of this, but I think that they're one of the 15, they're they're right around, if you add up their adjusted offensive and defensive issue, right around, you got to be, you know, around 50. They're right there with the cutoff. And I think by the end of the year, their offense will be a little bit better and they'll get there. But this is a team that is as experienced as any in the country. They're extremely well coached. Brian Dutcher is one of the best game planners in the entire country. So, which I think that they'll fare well on a tournament setting. The one thing I don't like about them is that they are very reliant on Matt Bradley. Um, You know, he takes a ton of their shots and when he's hot, he is scorching hot when he's off. He can shoot them out of the game. But at 100 to 1, that's something you like, right? You like that variance of Bradley just catching fire in a tournament setting. Um, you know, especially like Elite Eight, Sweet 16 weekend. He gets in a gym and is just feeling it for two games with their defense and offense overall and, and coaching. It shoot them right to the final four. So this is a team that, you know, they got UNLV at home now, then Fresno, Colorado State. They're at New Mexico, at Boise, home against Wyoming. So the Mountain West, I believe in. Um, I think that they're probably going to win their next three. So this might come down. You know, then they're at New Mexico, who they have revenge against. Um, yeah. And then they play a Boise State team. I think they match up pretty well with in their home against the Wyoming Corp. So I think that this is probably the right time to buy it. I think this is one of the, top, the best 15 to 20 teams in the country. And they don't have a, you know, the teams that I'm writing off in the that are in this mix of the top 20 teams are the teams that I have like a glaring flaw. For example, Iowa State. Like, I don't th- I don't believe in their offense. They're going to turn it over too much, and they just go through way too many droughts. Um, you know, take Tennessee. It's their offense as well. I don't think San Diego State has a glaring issue that's going to prevent them. You know, they're solid on both ends of the floor. So that's my case for the long shot. So let's hold up. You're going to hold up one for Marquette, two for Arkansas, and three for San Diego State. Can't vote for your own. All right, three, two, one. All right, Marquette it is. I've never been happier. I also, by the way, had Marquette as well, like written down and notes for it. So uh, I think all of us. Colin doesn't win. Um, Maybe we can have him on next week and and he can make his No, we already already told Colin Arkansas has no chance of winning at all. We were (laughs) on the record of all. I think, Mike, you had a – I said I don't want to tell him. Someone else to tell him. So we're already on the record to say that. So we cannot add Arkansas. Um, so we're going with Marquette 35 to one and to go with Indiana, TCU and UConn. We'll probably, end up, we'll probably end up with six until we get into maybe some, maybe there'll be some conference futures out there and hopefully we can hit one of these and maybe, you know, profit on another. All right. Good stuff there. Added a futures to the futures portfolio. Let's move on to. Friday Night Lights. Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday Night Lights. I'll start. I'm going to go with Fresno State. It's a team that I think is undervalued in the Mountain West. You know, a couple they've dealt with some injuries. A couple weeks ago, they couldn't even run full practices because they had so many injuries. They've won two straight. They won at UNLV. They won easily against San Jose State at home. Uh, I think that they're undervalued. They'll probably be catching double digits against... Nevada and Nevada is coming off of a game, you know, big huge win against New Mexico, probably stamped their tournament berth. They've won three straight, including San Diego State, Air Force, New Mexico. A little bit of a, a letdown spot here after such a, a monumental win. They got that roll at the end, one at the buzzer to sweep the season series against New Mexico in two games they probably should have lost. But I think this Fresno State team, they're just a tough team to, to beat by margin because they play so slow. They make you 
run offense forever and they defend so well. The offense is very limited. They go through droughts, but I think they can get some things done here against Nevada's defense. Uh, so give me Fresno. I think they're a, a bit undervalued for some of the things they were dealing with a couple weeks ago. They're starting to come into their own. Um, so I, I think this is a good spot to fade Nevada at home. Mike, what you got? This might be my my top play since we started the podcast. I was shocked when this number came live. I actually had it at the team I like, minus seven. It's minus two and a half. Go with Youngstown State, laying two and a half at Fort Wayne. This is a revenge game for the Penguins. They lost by five to the Mastodons on New Year's Eve. Since then, they're nine and one straight up. Youngstown is the best covering team in the horizon, 15 and eight against the spread, 13 and seven as a favorite. Four starters averaging 13 or more, but Dwayne Cohill has been absolutely special. So fire for fireball. He's incredible. Almost 18 points per game, five assists, three and a half boards, shooting just a hair under 50% from three-point range. As a team, they're second nationally in shooting efficiency. This is the Youngstown team to break the curse of March Madness. They're going to go dancing for the first time. It's time to get in on them. This may be the last time you get a real nice number. I understand it's hard to win on the road in conference play, but like I said, this is off by about five points in my opinion. So I'm going to take the Penguins laying two and a half. Yeah, Cohill. I mean, the 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 uh, Horizon tournament is going to be really interesting. I think Youngstown is the best team, but you have teams. I mean, they play no defense, but their offense is electric, led by Cohill. Similar to Detroit, Detroit plays even less defense. And they are electric on offense, and they're led by Antoine Davis, who is a flamethrower of his own. So, and then you have a bunch of like odd teams, you know, some teams who run zone and some just solid teams on both ends. So, it's going to be a really interesting conference tournament to break down. But I think Youngstown State is your likely favorite. BJ, what do you got for Friday? I'm going to go with Akron minus one on the road at Ohio. Uh, this is a big thing. Akron is the best defensive team in the MAC. They're coming off that loss on Tuesday to Toledo at home, but I think this is a good spot for them. Ohio defensively has been terrible, and the biggest thing for Ohio is is they let teams to the free throw line at one of the highest rates in the MAC. Well, Akron's shooting close to eighty percent from the free throw line. They hardly ever turn the ball over. Ohio Ohio cannot defend the three point line whatsoever, and Akron's taking the most threes of anybody in the MAC. And like I said, the flip side. Ohio takes a ton of threes themselves, and Akron's the best team in the MAC at defending the three-point line. So, at a short number of minus one, give me the zips on the road. All right, there you have it. So we have little Youngstown, Akron, out of Ohio, love, and then we're going to go out west for Fresno State. Speaking of out west, let's talk a little Pac-12, which we haven't talked about a lot this year. But let's talk a little buy sell. In the Pac-12, I'll save maybe one of you guys will steal mine and I'll, I'll just build on it. So, Mike, let me go to you. Who are you buying and selling in the Conference of Champions? So I'll go ahead and, you know, the least sexy buy situation. Arizona's plus 130 to win the conference title. They're 15 to 1 to win it all this year. I, despite all of that, I still think a 21 and 3 record, they're not getting as much love nationally in a year when a lot of the top teams just keep losing. They've won six straight. Azulis Tubelis is fourth in NBA efficiency. Balo's actually 36 as well. So in terms of being a great defensive rebounding team, they have the size. They get it done there. They play fast. They share the ball incredibly well. Fourth in assist to made basket ratio. Seventh in shooting efficiency. The My concern is, I'm sure what everyone's concern is, can they have the consistent guard play to get them over the top? They've been sloppy with the basketball, 14 turnovers per game. And Kerr Kreisa, Listen, they played five really good teams this year. They played UCLA, Tennessee, Indiana, Creighton, and San Diego State. He no-showed three of those games. And really, the only one that he played well in was out in Maui against San Diego State when he went for 21-5. and He has to play well for them to win in those Sweet 16, Elite 8 kind of games. So from a you know 15 to 1 perspective to win the national title, I'm kind of on the fence. I'd probably need a little bit better number to get raked in on it. But at plus 130, the way that they're playing right now and the fact that they've already avenged their loss you know, to Oregon as well, I think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to close this out strong. I think UCLA potentially has some issues and it could rear its head this weekend on their road trip. So I'm going to go ahead with the Wildcats on a team that I'm buying on. Yeah, they'll be an interesting team come March. They're very well coached. 
Tommy Lloyd uh, is extremely, uh, I, I still think, underrated. So, I mean, everyone knows about his recruiting, but uh, he's a great game planner as well. This is a team that wants to get out in transition. They want to play fast. The question is just like last year, if you slow them down and you can pack the paint because their bigs are so good, but if you can pack the paint against them, will their guards shoot them out of the of a game? Because their guards are very inconsistent. You know, will Creesa just have a, you know, a game, you know, and he turns it over. They, they do. One of the things, things that I'm worried about, a couple of things, they're turnovers and it all comes down to just inconsistent guard play. They're turnovers and then they're inconsistent shooting. So if you're able to kind of pack the paint in and just dare them to shoot, which is I think probably what the game plan will be from a lot of teams, can Pella Larson, Ramey, and Carissa, you know, consistently play at a high level through the tournament? So their floor is pretty low with their bigs, but that they'll determine if they reach their ceiling or not. You know, maybe you have a guy like Boswell, who's the highly touted freshman who can come could start to come on even more. Um, but that 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 shooting from the outside, like Larson's only shooting twenty eight percent from three. You know, Ramey's a, a flamethrower, but he kind of needs to he needs to he's not going to create his own shot. And Creesa just he's so hit or miss. And will he shoot them out of a a game when you know it's going to be more of a half court team that can take him out of transition and pack the paint? They'll be an interesting team to break down. Team you're selling. Utah, I, I think just the way that the schedule has shook out for the Utes this year, um, you know, when they played elite teams, they lost at UCLA, at USC, at Oregon all recently. But really last week, the loss to Stanford, that was a game, in my opinion, that they really needed to try to break through to get to, you know, maybe the four line in the Pac-12 tournament. When you look at what's right around the corner for them from a scheduling perspective at Arizona, they played the, the LA schools at home in a Thursday, Saturday, back to back at the end of the month. I think they're going to be exposed. They have, you know, some nice size, but outside of that, I don't think there's anything that really makes them special, but I just keep coming back to the six point home loss to Stanford, who I think is, is pretty awful. I think that's closer and more indicative to who they are as opposed to the wins that they've racked up kind of feasting on, you know, the Washington schools, Oregon state, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity to to get off of the Utah bandwagon. If for any reason you've bought yourself a ticket. Yeah. Gabe Matson in a, walking boot uh i think the last time i saw him so i, I think that he'll be out yeah it looks like he's going to be out four to six weeks so they're now short-handed which is not ideal for utah pj i'm gonna go to you buy sell in the pac-12 i'm gonna buy washington state uh they went through a really rough stretch this past week they go into the game against usc and right before the game it just said oh by the way they only have seven total scholarship players available DJ Rodman was out for that game. He was out for the game against UCLA where they got blown out, but the schedule sits up pretty nice for them coming home here. So they're going to get it. And he, 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 and, and uh, I forget who else was out. Not as important. Dylan yeah. It was all, and all just was, was an illness as well. And it looks yeah, like they'll be probably, back. They'll be back this week. He's probable to play on Saturday against Washington. So it's a good spot for them. And it's really a team that, you know, they, they defend very well. I mean, they're a top 60 team in defensive efficiency. They're a good three point shooting team. They space the floor really well. And again, they got three home games coming up here, two against the Oregon schools, one against Washington, and they're fighting for their, you know, their potential tournament line. I mean, they're, they're 10 and 15. I don't know if they're potentially going to make the tournament or whatever, but as we get into the, the PAC 12 tournament, they're going to be a very, very dangerous team once they are fully healthy because they're, what I like to classify as this, this average team, but when they're healthy, like they have good wins. Like this is a team that has blown out Arizona on the road. Like they have good wins. So they've beaten USC in the reverse fixture at home. So I'm buying Washington state coming here down the stretch in a pretty easy schedule. Uh, and potentially when we get into the PAC 12 tournament, uh, I think they're going to be a pretty dangerous team because they can shoot the lights out when they get hot because they shoot a ton of three pointers as well. Yeah, really. In the, this was my buy as well. So I'll just add on. This is uh, a team that's, I mean, they're not going to make the tournament. Maybe they, if they win, uh, if they win six straight to close the year, which they could do, um, they, you know, they could be favored in the rest of their remaining six games. And then if they get to like the Pac-12, because I don't put them at 16 and 15, but this is one of the best 10 and 15 teams I've ever seen in my life. They've had a, a tough schedule too and some tough losses. It's been one of the unluckiest teams. And like you said, on that LA swing last week, they didn't have Rodman, who will be back this weekend. But yeah, really in, they've, run a really uh unique offense with uh Muhammad Yi, who's who I love who kind of runs like a point forward and yeah they have shooters all around him I think they've actually owed some shooting regression in league play um you know and 
they lost to what they lost to Utah in overtime earlier this year. They lost to UCLA by one. Um, so they've been right there in a number of games. I mean, they played Baylor in a neutral game. They lost by six. So they've been close. They lost, you know, to Arizona the other night by five, Colorado by three. This team has lost a ton of close games, but they, look, they're not that experienced. So they've gone through some struggles as expected, but I think they're going to start <laughs> to peak. And as you mentioned, the Pac-12 is pretty wide open outside of the top. I agree with you. This this could be like the they could be the and a better version of, but the Oregon State team that I still forget went to the Elite Eight what two years ago? Yeah, they um, be, and they be Loyola. Yeah, two years ago, and I I think Washington State. I'm, I'm still in mourning for that one. I was holding an Illinois fifty to one national title ticket, and I Same. was like, this is all coming together. I had Loyola and Calcutta too. I was so I was so distraught when Oregon State beat them. Yeah, so I think they're going to be a really intriguing future in the Pac-12 when it comes. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with you. On Wazoo. Two things I'll add with Wazoo as well. They're, per Ken Palm, they have played the fifth toughest schedule in the country, and they're second to last in luck. So again, just adding on to this team's going to be a nice future to buy come Pac-12 time. But I'm selling USC. They're going on the Oregon back-to-back. Wow, that's, my buy was Washington State. <laughs> my sell was USC. It, I just don't trust this USC team. Yes, they're very elite at defending inside, and they have a good defense, but they can't shoot from deep. They can't. And what's what's funny is that like USC consistently over year over year they've been top ten in average height, but they suck at rebounding. Like they're three hundred thirty second in defensive rebounding percentage, and they're not even dominating dominating on the offensive glass as well. So. I think the team has major flaws here. Again, the schedule's not going to set up for them pretty well. They got back to back. They got Oregon tonight on Thursday and then Oregon State, who, you know, might be a zombie right now, but that might be a potential nice spot there for Oregon State to potentially maybe pull off an upset on Saturday. But yeah, just a team that I really think I, I'm just not buying as we go into the this the second half of the season here and potentially into the into March that a team that just can't shoot and really just can't rebound, even though you have all that height. Yeah, this USC is my sell team too. I think this is probably the top of the market on them. They, you know, they, they really struggled with Washington, Washington state had guys out. They had a huge comeback against UCLA. The problem is, you know, I, I do think that I'm going to be looking to sell them, but like, I can't figure out Oregon for the life of me. Then they play Oregon state and Cal <laughs> very hard to trust either one of those teams. But later in the year, um, I still think they're going to be overvalued in those games. We'll see if I end up pulling the trigger, but you know, one of their strengths has been, which is seemingly has been for years, is their interior defense. But now they're missing one of the their most important pieces inside. I don't know how long Josh Morgan's going to be out, but he is dominant inside. He's also, you know, I think he's top 15 in the country in block percentage, but he's an elite rim defender. And without him, you know, he's out right now. It's an ankle injury. Maybe it's a couple weeks. But without him... You know, you do have uh, Iwachukwu, who's, you know, the highly touted freshman 7-1 kid, but he's just, he's still raw defensively. He got benched, you know, against Washington the other night because he just kept missing assignments. You know, then at power forward, it's like Drew Peterson's more of a stretch four shooter. You're down to like Niagu, who's another seven-foot freshman. Uh, Hornery, like Harrison Hornery is like, uh, um, you know, he's more of a stretch. He's not like your bull guy. So like, you're, they're really thin now on the front line without Morgan because Iwachuku has issues and they're just raw. And that's the, one of their biggest strengths. So I think that their rim defense and interior defense can be exploited now. Um, now, I don't know. And I think Oregon could do it tonight with Dante. Um, but keep that. If Josh, he's super important to everything they do inside. And without him, they're really thin now up front. And that's one of the reasons uh, I'm going to be, I agree on that USC is the sell team in the Pac-12. As a reminder, before we go any further, college basketball season is in full swing. So get in on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and receive first bet insurance up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 
Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana. Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, let's move to Saturday and talk our circled spots. We'll go around the horn as always. Mike, what's your first one you got? So you get the Michael Calabrese special here because I graduated from Loyola, Maryland, but spent many weekends up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Lehigh, enjoying the fine camaraderie there amongst all the engineers. This game, I'll play this up to the Mountain Hawks minus seven. Loyola is in free fall. In Patriot League play, they are ninth in scoring, which is second to last, and dead last in scoring defense. Lehigh, on the other side, is a quality team. They're third in scoring in the Pat League, fifth in scoring defense. Loyola, as I mentioned, just in you know in this uncontrolled dive, lost six of seven straight up. Two road wins for the entire season at Bucknell and Binghamton, who were 297th and 313th, respectively, in Ken, Ken Palm. They can't score. They can't shoot from the line. 360th nationally at 61.4%. And one of the very worst defensive rebounding teams of all the things, if you told me at the beginning of the year for the Greyhounds, that because of their size, they'd be able to rebound. I, I could at least talk myself into that. They haven't been able to do it. The 358th in defensive rebounds per game. And then finally, when you look for a team to be able to pull away, Lehigh won by four down in Baltimore. They had three-point shooting to kick this up into double digits in this game. They're 64th nationally shooting 36.2% from deep. And I, I like Lehigh's backcourt a lot. I think this is a team that could win the Patriot League tournament, you know, between Taylor Higgins Jr. and Whitney Sidney. Um, they average 42 points per game as a trio out of that backcourt. So I'm going to go ahead and play Lehigh. You know, you should follow me on this one. Take those winnings, head down to the Tally Ho. Karaoke starts at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. So enjoy yourself there in Bethlehem. The Tally Ho. I used to go to Tally Ho Liquors in, I think it's, let me say, Tally Ho Spirits in Wilmington, Delaware, when I was like, I think it's still there. Um, and then down the street was uh, another shout out to my guy uh, for one of my favorite liquor stores in all of Delaware. Smaller, smaller spot, but Talia Liquor's big place, and I used to they used to take my fake um, when I was like under twenty one. This is uh, God forever ago, but uh, yeah, Talia Hill Spirits is like a, connected to a Wawa uh, in Wilmington, right off of two hundred two. Anyway, BJ, what do you got? <laughs> um, I'll go Illinois at home against Rutgers. Uh, I think this is a really good spot for Illinois, who. Hasn't played this week. They've had a full week off since the two-point loss at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Rutgers coming off that loss against Indiana on Tuesday. But most importantly, they lost Mag for the season, which is a huge loss for them, especially defensively. Yeah, killer he's on second, defensive, yeah. Yeah, second-best defensive rebounder. He's he's actually in an offensive, but he's actually leading the team in two-point field goal percentage from inside the arc. So for an offense that's really struggled this season, they're losing their best interior offensive player. And the thing is, is Rutgers, yes, they are one of the best defensive teams in the country, the best defensive team in the Big Ten. But they're 12th in the Big Ten in conference play in defensive rebounding percentage. And like I already mentioned, they just lost their second-best defensive rebounder. Illinois is third in the Big 12 in offensive rebounding percentage. They're really struggling for three-point range, which means there's going to be a lot of second-chance opportunities, balls bouncing off the rim. So the other problem here for Rutgers is they do struggle offensively. They can't shoot from outside the arc. A lot of their shots are coming at the rim. Illinois is second in the country in points per possession allowed at the rim. So for a Rutgers team that can't shoot, doesn't have one of their best interior players, this is a really, really good spot for Illinois on a week-long rest at home 
in Champaign. So Ken Palm has this at Illinois minus two. I'm sure it'll be up there a little more with Mag being out. So I'll go Illinois minus five and a half or better. Yeah, I agree with the spot on Illinois. Had that circled as well. If but even though they're one of my teams that I just have circled is who is this team? Like because they're just just a Jekyll and Hyde sometimes. Um, but I agree on the spot here and and the matchup. I'll throw out a couple spots early that are similar. Oklahoma, they just burnt me, but um, you know, they early, I think they match up pretty well against Candace, especially at home. They can control the tempo, keep Candace out of transition where they really thrive. I still think Candace has some issues, especially from a depth perspective. They also struggle to defend cutting action, which Oklahoma does really well. They're in the Candace the 14th percentile for synergy there. Oklahoma's also due for some shooting regression on both ends in league play. They're you know, 15th percentile nationally on uncontested jumpers. Some of those are going to start to fall. I also like some of the rotation things I saw. Like they were going with a couple guys, um, Bamasili and Owe. They were playing a little bit more, which I think gives Porter Moser a little more flexibility. Um, and, and it gives them a little more athleticism here to match up with Kansas. Earlier this year, they played, they were two of 17 from deep in Lawrence. And they lost by three. They actually led by 10 with five to go before Clandis closed on an 18 to four run that ended in a four point loss, which sums up Oklahoma season. They've lost by one, one, two, three, three, four, and four. And, you know, just that Baylor the other night, they were right there. This is a huge, massive game for Oklahoma who is teetering on the bubble. They need this game bad. I think you get a, you know, then by the way, that doesn't always mean that the team's going to win. There's, Sometimes these teams, you'll see more teams play themselves out of the bubble than in. But uh, I think after Kansas's big win on Monday, Oklahoma's reeling here. They've lost six straight conference games, been much better at home. I think it's a good spot for Oklahoma. And then, speaking of their one win, Oklahoma, a couple weeks ago, when I was on them against Alabama, they beat by 40. I think we got to fade Alabama on Saturday against Auburn. I mean, Auburn's been better of late. They dropped four or five, so I think it's a good buy low, sell high spot. Three of those losses came on the road against quality opponents and games they could have won easily. And two of the four losses came against Texas A&M, who they don't really match up well with, and they probably should have beat Texas A&M regardless the last game. Because why? Texas A&M, they turn opponents over, they dominate the offensive glass, and they get to the line a ton. That's the formula for beating Auburn. They struggle in all three of those areas. Well, the tied are seventh or worse in the SEC in all three of those categories. Most importantly, they're outside the top 300 in turnovers force which just crushes the Auburn offense. Now, Auburn, their guards, it's just night and day. They're erratic guard play. At home, they are so much better. They also have some shooting regression coming their way. And same with Alabama. I mean, teams are shooting 21% in league play from three against Alabama. I know no one in the SEC could shoot. I know Alabama's a ton of length, but uh, that that's artificially low. And for what it's worth, per Haslam metrics, Alabama's 353rd in the country in a way in the away from home metric which is different between their home and away performance they're also believe it or not 358th in consistency the team that i, I think that i think that's one of the teams you could trust but they're 358th in consistency and what does alabama do it's rim get to the rim or shoot a three there's no mid-range well auburn 99th percentile in points per possession allowed on three pointers 97th percentile in points per possession allowed at the rim they're an elite Rim and three defense. So I think it's a smash spot for Auburn here against Alabama at home. Mike, let me throw it to you. What do you got? All right. I'm going to go to the middling of all mid mid major conferences, which is the A10. The basically the soft middle of the A10. Who's to say who's the ninth best team and who's the fourth best team? So I'm going to go ahead and play one of the hot teams right now, and that's St. Joe's. They're hosting George Washington. St. Joe's have won six of eight straight up. Homer. <laughs> this is first time on the pod in multiple years ever playing St. Joe's Eric Reynolds. The second is finally living up to the hype. He's averaging 20 points per game, really improved from three point shooting and his three point shooting during this run. And Hawk Hill has been looking for a game like this to get fired up for. It's a one o'clock tip on a Saturday. And this is the, the moment to potentially help yourself in the A-10 tournament because all these conference tournaments are a little bit different in terms of their structure. But if you get a top four seed, that's a double buy. They're a game and a half out. This becomes a must-win situation against a George Washington team who's pretty awful defensively, 296 in opponent shooting percentage. They allow teams to essentially operate their offense unimpeded, 330th in assist-to-made basket ratio, and they barely force any turnovers, only 11 per game. That's 280th. So 
with, with as well as St. Joe's has played, including an overtime loss down at GW where they only lost by one in OT. I think this is the time to to buy on St. Joe's. I'll probably play this up to minus three, maybe minus three and a half is probably my cutoff. But if there was ever a time to get in on the Hawks, I think now's the time. I mean, the Hawks technically still are mathematically allowed to win the A-10 and nothing would shock me um, in the A-10 this year. And yeah, GW, my alma mater, who stinks, did just beat Richmond in double overtime last night. And, you know, now they hit the road. And that's important because they have zero bench. They literally have no bench whatsoever. So now you're on the road after a double OT wild game that ended 107-105. So legs could be an issue this late in the year for a team that's going to be playing um, you know, a, two, a couple days after a double overtime thriller. BJ, what do you got? Let's go Oregon against UCLA. The last time that UCLA had one of these back-to-back road trips playing on a Thursday and Saturday, they beat Arizona State, and then they lost very convincingly to Arizona in Tucson. UCLA plays Oregon State on Thursday night, so they're probably going to beat them because they're a 15-point favorite. But the biggest thing when you match up with UCLA, they're one of the highest frequency pick and roll teams in the country. So you have to be able to defend it. If you look at the teams that they've lost to Illinois, Baylor, Arizona, and USC, well, Illinois, Baylor, and Arizona are all top 25 in the country in points per possession allowed off the pick and roll. And USC is still top 100 in that category. Oregon is 60th in defending ball screens. Now the worry here is Oregon doesn't defend the mid range jumper that well, but if you're able to defend the pick and roll, you do take away a lot of those easy pull-up mid-range jumpers for Tiger and Hawkes and, uh, and, and company as well. And UCLA, they obviously love to play their slow pace and majority of their offense coming from the half court. Well, Oregon is a top 50 team in the country in points for possession allowed in the half court. They're third in the Pac-12 during conference play. And you also have to be able to rebound the ball against UCLA because they're a top 20 team in offensive rebounding percentage and Oregon can do that as well. And for whatever reason, in conference play, teams are shooting 82% from the line against Oregon, so their free throw defense sucks. Um, but on the flip side of it is US, UCLA has been pretty average defending inside, like they're seventh in the Pac-12 in two-point field goal percentage. Well, Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12 shooting 50, over 55% during conference play from inside the arc and 62% on shot attempts at the rim. So catching UCLA on a back-to-back like we've already seen once this season, I like Oregon as a dog here. Yeah, Oregon... Again, I mean, you're going with Illinois and Oregon. Those are two of the teams, two of the hardest uh, balls, <laughs> two of the hardest teams to figure out in the country. But uh, yeah, or you, I think you want to zone this UCLA team. It kind of disrupts a lot of what they do. And you can pre- they they haven't been great against the press. Now they've you know they faced uh, about 150 possessions. They've been a 40th percentile. They've also been worse against zone. And man, Oregon will throw out a ton of press and a ton of zone. So that could be effective here, and it really kind of disrupts everything that UCLA wants to do from a half-court perspective. All right, here's an ugly one. Georgia State, This they're, they're going to be playing their fourth straight home game, taking on Marshall, who's going to be playing their fourth straight road game. They absolutely were embarrassed at Marshall earlier this year. They trailed by 50 at one point. Biggest reason for this handicap is Marshall has no bench whatsoever. They play five, mainly five to six guys, but one guy off the bench. One of the shortest benches in all of college basketball. And they play as fast as anybody. And they're playing their fourth straight road game late in the season. Legs, legs, legs. This is a nightmare spot. So I'll be looking for Georgia State as a home dog. Speaking of, same conference, JMU, fourth straight road game against Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, great transition defense, which is important against JMU. They've also underachieved, but they recently got Jamora Brown back. He didn't play in the first meeting, which JMU won. And... JMU, everything they do is predicated on getting to the rim. They get to the rim on 57% of possessions. That's 98th percentile, sixth highest in the country. Coastal Carolina does a phenomenal job of preventing teams from getting to the rim at the seventh lowest in the country. So I think it's a pretty good matchup, a good spot for an underachieving Coastal Carolina team that I think is probably at the bottom of the market. And then why not an ugly one? Monmouth, they're covering machine. Probably going back to Monmouth against Hofstra. They started out one and twenty. They've won four straight, all as underdogs. And the emergence of a walk-on, Jakari Spence at point guard, has helped. They had so many turnover issues, has helped alleviate some of their turnover issues. He's had twenty assists to just eight turnovers during their current four-game winning streak. And this is a team that basically was brand new. So you know, to see King Rice kind of have them playing better as the year has progressed is not that surprising. I'll go back to the Wealth Mammoth as a dog. Um, Mike, what else you got? The last one that I have here is. 
you know, the, it pays to know the scheduling quirks. We talked about it in the Pac-12 where you get those Thursday, Saturday road trips, you know, which can be pretty lengthy in terms of overall distance traveled. The Ivy League's another one for me where you have those Friday, Saturday back-to-backs. And when you can avoid that, I think that changes the calculus on these games. And for me, Princeton traveling to Dartmouth, I know they went to overtime at home against them in the last time that they played. Princeton's won eight of their last 10 games straight up. Awoma has been tremendous. He also gave Dartmouth 20 points in that overtime win. And Dartmouth in general is one of those teams that at this point in the season, to be able to crack the top four and to make the Ivy League tournament, it's not going to happen for them. So it's a little bit difficult in terms of overall motivation. Plus, they're buried in the 300s and a lot of the shooting metrics. They can't get their own offensive rebounds to be able to offset that. And this is a Princeton team that needs to stay focused to be able to lock up that that number one you know, overall seed and potentially set themselves up for a postseason if they aren't able to win the Ivy League tournament. So with all of those motivation factors and the fact that they don't have to play a back-to-back on the road, I'm going to go ahead here with the Tigers. I think they win by double digits. So I'd go ahead and lay all the way up to 10 here with Princeton. BJ? Let's go Texas Tech at home against Kansas State. Uh, the last time these two teams met, I mean, Texas Tech could have very easily won this game. I mean, they were up. Yeah, they were up by on. eight with thirteen to play. It was fifty to fifty with four eight forty six left in the game, and then they just didn't score for six straight minutes. And Kansas State ended up winning by ten. And now we're at the Red Raiders are one in ten in Big Twelve play. Six of those ten losses have come by seven points or less. Uh, in the last meeting, they did hold Kansas State to 32% from behind the arc, but the Wildcats went to the free throw line 27 times compared to just 12 for Texas Tech. And Tech, they are a top 50 team in the country in field goal percentage at the rim when Kansas State is very average at defending inside. They're seventh in the Big 12 in two-point field goal percentage, while the Wildcats are just an elite three-point defense, but Texas Tech doesn't take a lot of three-pointers. So it's a, it's a good spot here for Texas Tech coming off back-to-back road losses while Kansas State coming off a couple wins here. So uh, I think this is just a slam dunk Texas Tech spot. Uh, so Ken Palm has us at Kansas State minus two. So I'll take anything Texas Tech plus money and get hurt once again. Yeah, I think the, this Kansas State team has been quite fortunate. I mean, in league play, they're shooting close to 38% from three. They're holding teams at 27%. They lead the conference in both. They've gone 4-0 and in overtime on the season. Um, I would agree with Texas Tech as well here. Uh, I'll throw out... St. Francis, PA, they just saw the Merrimack zone. They actually can shoot the three. I think they'll be better prepared. We'll see. I'll have a write-up on all my favorite spots. That'll be in there. How about one more? Michigan, maybe. Do we sell Indiana now? I mentioned that Haslam metrics away from home metric. Well, they are 362nd in the country in away from home performance. That'd be That's second ridiculous. to last, right? Yep. Who's the worst? And one? All right, the, the worst team in the away from home metric? Uh by the way, Georgia State is the third worst, and it's the difference between home and away, which and we're I'm I'm looking at about them against Marshall. Iowa is the fourth worst. Um, <laughs> I believe that. And Iowa State. It's okay. They're going to be Iowa State's this. Iowa State's the sixth worst. Bradley's the seventh worst. Duke's the eighth worst. The worst is Rutgers. Hmm. Worst in the country with their uh, no home cooking home. like the rack. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. The best away from home performance, USF. That is a random one. It's probably just because they suck at home. There's a lot of noise <laughs> in the best ones. Um, yeah, like UNLV is up there, Wichita State. Who, who um, is it? Is it East Tennessee State. Is that one of the teams that can't East win Tennessee State's right up there? Yeah. I think they they can't win at home this year, which is very odd. They, they have a decent home court advantage usually. By the way, Michigan. Since 2005, 98, 68, and two against the spread at home in conference play. One of the most underrated home court advantages I still think of the country. I, it doesn't get as much love as some of the other top ones, but uh, I think that you know Michigan could do some things here. And Indiana might be, you know, they, they just come off two huge wins. It's not the best of spots. Michigan fighting for their tourney lives. And Indiana might be like adding some players back, like Xavier Johnson might come back, which I think is good for their long-term perspectives, their long-term prospects. But it might not be great for like the first game or two, right? You gotta, he's gonna have some rust. You gotta work him back into the rotation, might throw off some of the rhythm they're building. So uh, I think Michigan does it again at home against Indiana. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks as always for tuning in. Thanks, of course, to my co-host 
BJ and Micah. And thanks to our audio and video teams on the back end. Don't get enough credit. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a review. Five-star review. We'll do giveaways some next week. They really help us out. Make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app. Thanks to our sponsors, BetMGM. It's time for us to go find some more winners for Saturday's huge card. Enjoy the weekend of hoops and the Super Bowl. I'll be back Saturday morning. Big Bets on Campus Live with the guys from the Three Man Weave. And then we'll be back on Tuesday with a recap episode of the weekend that was. If you haven't checked out the guys from the Three Man Weave, they're always back in midweek. And then we'll be back next week, of course, with the weekend preview. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.